This morning we stand, we stand on a precipice, and I want to talk about legacy, and there's, and, and there's really, you know, that's that, the idea of legacy, but I want to address two specific things, and if you open your Bibles to 2 Timothy, and I, I didn't put notes or inserts or anything like that, I just want to share my heart, walk through a passage with you this morning, um, and talk about legacy, and I, I want to talk about a pastor's calling and a pastor's motivation. I think those are important. We all maybe have some of those questions running through our minds. Um, about going forward, right? We stand on this precipice. We're, we're no longer two churches. We are one. And God is doing some wonderful things. And, and I don't think either congregation kind of thought this through and thought, you know, tomorrow or next month we'll, we'll, we'll blend with another church. We'll merge with another one, right? Um, we may have those ideas, and it might be with the Atwater Church thinking about it a little longer than the Faith Bible Church, but here we are, right? Here we are. God is doing something new. And it reminds me of a story of... Um, of a young pastor who was having his meal at a diner. And he was sitting there enjoying his meal, and he had taken some of his mail that he'd gotten early before he went to lunch, and, and he was opening the letters, and he had one from his mother. So he opened the letter from his mom, and a $20 bill fell out. And he thought, this is outstanding. I am a blessed man, Lord, right? My mom's thinking of me. So he finished his meal, and as he thought about what he could do with that $20, he looked out the window of the restaurant, and he saw, he saw a a man out there, a homeless man, and he thought to himself, this man could use that $20 more than I need it right now. So he took that envelope, and he scratched out his name on it, and he wrote the word persevere, put that $20 bill in that envelope, and not wanting to draw attention to the, to the matter of him handing the man money, he put that envelope under his arm, and as he walked out of the, of the restaurant, he, he allowed it to fall right, from his arm right in front of the man, and he kept on walking. And the homeless man picked that up, read the word persevere, took the $20, thought he was a blessed man. The next day, the, the pastor comes back to the same diner, and he's enjoying his lunch once again. And, and this time, the homeless man comes in, taps him on the shoulder, and hands him a wad of cash. And he's thinking, what is, what is this? What, what is going on? He said, well, I, I took the $20 and, and went to the track. <laughs> Persevere came in first and it paid out 30 to 1. <laughs> Unbeknownst to him, it was an, a blessing he wasn't planning on. <laughs> so this morning, we're, we're looking at this idea of like God is, is working, God is moving, and God is blessing us. But it really takes the idea, and, and what I want to share this morning is the idea of legacy. There's a history to both of these churches, to these congregations, and, and my prayer has been, and will continue to be, that we go forward with the perseverance, and that first begins with the pastor. So this passage this morning I want to look at is, is 2 Timothy chapter 4, hopefully I said 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And Paul says these words to this young pastor, he says to Timothy, I charge you. Therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at, the, at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth 
and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, thank you for this time you've given to us, and, and especially this wonderful day as we, we celebrate you first and foremost. Not only just the season and what Christmas means, but what you are doing in our midst. There were no longer two churches, but we are coming together. So I pray, Lord, that through this time you would turn our attention, our eyes, our ears to you, open our ears, that we might hear your voice. Instruct us from your word, I pray. I pray this in the wonderful and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. So just a little bit of a background to Timothy. This, this second letter to Timothy is much more focused and personal, right? He covers, Paul covers a lot of theological content, but he's really encouraging Timothy how to deal with false teachers, how to engage and how to stand for truth. And he comes to this passage in what I'm simply calling the pastor's calling. He kind of succinctly lays it out and he says, this is what I want you to do. And there's just a few things that I want to share with you this morning about this. First, he lays the foundation, right? We look at this verse. What I'm calling the, the foundation is verse 1, right? He says, I charge you, therefore, speaking to Timothy, before God, right? God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right out of the gate, we, we can pretty make, make it clear. Paul is very serious. He's using two-thirds of the Trinity, right? Timothy, I charge you in front of God the Father and the, and the Lord, right? God the Son, to right? Preach the word. He goes on from there and he expands who Jesus is a little bit. He is the judge, the living and the dead. He's pointing out that there is, right, Timothy, there's no one who escapes the idea of judgment. Whether they're living or dead, right, this is going to happen. This is who he is, right? And so as a pastor, these things are important that you maintain doctrine. He's really laying the foundation of why you're to go forward. Why are you to do this? And then he also says, right, at his appearing, the fact that Christ will return and his kingdom he will establish. So we see right out of the gate that, that the pastor's calling has, a, has a, a strong foundation. It is very serious, right? What are the three eternal things we see in this world? God is eternal. His word is eternal. You and I, people, are eternal. And he's telling Timothy, focus on the most important things. Focus on this. You have a responsibility. Go here. Do this. So he lays the foundation. It's very serious. Timothy would have to be reading this and going, wow, he's not messing around. Right? I charge you. Two-thirds of the, of the Trinity. And he goes into the command. So he lays the foundation. Verse 2, he says, look, here's the command. There's all these imperatives, right? Preach the word. Mine has an exclamation point there. I don't know if your version has that. If it doesn't, you should add that in there. I think that's appropriate. Be ready in season and out of season. He tells them, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. So here, Timothy, or excuse me, Paul points out, what are, Timothy, you supposed to be doing? The obvious one with the exclamation point, preach the word, right? Why is that so important? He goes on in verses 3 and 4, and he explains why this is so important. But he gives Timothy, here's the what, right? For a pastor, you're like, what am I supposed to do here? Well, here's the what. Tyson, here is the what, right? Preach the word. It's very important. He goes on and tells us the when. When should a pastor do this, right? Well, he says, in season and out of season. Now, if he's speaking to Timothy, that means, man, you've got to have a 
an answer, right, everywhere you go. He's speaking to the listeners and in the congregation, right, means you should be ready to hear it, right, when it's convenient or when it's inconvenient. Because he moves on from there. So he says, here's the what? Here's the when at all times, right? And here's the how. Look at these words he uses. Convince, right? Convince them, Timothy. Convince them that this is the truth. Have that answer. Push it forward, right? Be convinced in yourself. That it would radiate and exude from you. He uses the word rebuke. I don't know about you, but usually when we think of that word, usually has negative connotations attached to it. When you hear the word rebuke, does anyone think that's a good thing? Yeah, we don't think that. But here in the Bible uses this word to express correction, right? Rebuke for the hope that you would correct. We might, sometimes we, 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 we think of church discipline this way. You know, that's a negative thing. No, that's a very good thing. It's good for us to be called on our sin. The word repentance is a good word, right? It's good for us because it draws us closer to God, not away from him. The next word he uses, right, exhort, encourage. If there are those of you this morning who are saying, Tyson, I'm, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm doing it. And I would say, keep going, right? The church needs you. Be the hands and feet of Christ. Take that seriously. Take him where you go, right? Let him, him shine through you and rub off onto others. We want to see that. The church is dependent upon each and every one of us doing that. And then, of course, he says, with long-suffering and teaching, be patient. You'll notice out of these is what? If you don't know me that well and I came to you and I rebuked you, you probably wouldn't hear that very well, right? Or maybe I can just go right to rebuking. That's fine, too, if you let me do that, right? No, it's out of relationship. See, what Paul is convincing Timothy of, in order to convince someone, in order to encourage, truly encourage someone, right? Not just in passing, but to really encourage, to really have that moment where you can bring correction and say, you know what, I think what is most important here is you turn from that. God has a better way and turn to this, right? In order for us to hear those things, it takes a relationship. Now, there is a pastor, right? Congregational relationship, but there needs to be something that grows beyond that. There can't be a time where we say, you know what, Tyson doesn't care, Pastor Dwight doesn't care. No, you have to hear their heart. Because, see, we are charged, right, before the Lord, before God the Father, before his Son, to do what? Preach the word, because what is best for us is to hear sound doctrine. And we do that with long, so we do it with patience. And every time I use the word patience, I always add, please pray for me for that, right? Please pray that I would have patience. So Paul really is serious about this. He lays the, the what, the when, the how. He lays it out. Timothy, here it is, man, right? Preach the word. In season out, all the time. Here's what you're doing. Communicate this. And then he gives the reason in verses 3 and 4. This is why verse 2 is so important. So we go to verse 3 and he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So Paul says right here, for, right, for this reason. Now, it's a few things you want to point out and understand. He's not talking to pagans. He's not talking to those who don't attend church. Here's a New Testament church, and he's telling Timothy, these are the believers, 
These are the ones who come. These are the ones who show up, Timothy. And they might be inclined to turn their ears away from the truth. So the few things walking through this verse that I think are worth pointing out. He says, first, these listeners will no longer put up with the doctrine, sound doctrine. And think about for a moment that the gospel would become unpleasant. Can you imagine that? If you're a believer this morning, you've believed on Christ, how important is the gospel? It's vitally important. Can you imagine believers coming and saying, you know what, is there a new teaching? Tyson, is there something new? What's the new thing that's going on? Paul is saying at all costs, Timothy, don't, don't go down that road. Stay true to doctrine, right? Stay true to the teachings of the Bible, of the gospel. Second, he says, right, they were going to get their own pastors, right, who are going to say what they want to hear. That's kind of scary. We don't do that here, right? He says to suit their own desires. They would pack pulpits, right, of their churches with preachers who would tell them what they want to hear. What is happening at this moment? Right? When Paul is saying this, what is he actually communicating? Church no longer is about us coming and worshiping the true king. It's about me coming to church and worshiping the king the way I want to do it. What is best for me? And this is how I want to hear it. Now, this is a sad note, I believe, in the church in America. Right? We'd much rather have the, the, the program, the, the performance, something about that. I'm thankful that God, despite us, right, does, he does his work and he works on lives and he changes lives. But how important is this? Because what we see here is they turn away. Can you imagine turning away and then turning to fables, turning to myths? Turning away from the gospel. Believers who have trusted in Christ, Paul's saying they'll actually turn away and they'll desire myth over fact. See, at that moment, they're at the center of their lives. They're at the center of the worship. I'm at the center now. And I'm going to tell you how we're going to do it. Right? That is, in essence, what they are saying. They may not use those words, but the actions bear that out. And it's vitally important for a pastor, right? The legacy, history of our churches coming together and moving forward is we want to maintain this. This is my desire, my prayer. Paul goes on from there and he says, look, hey, I'm going to remind you, do, do fulfill your ministry. I do the work of an evangelist. And that's not just for pastors, right? We know the Great Commission is for each and every one of us. I go and make disciples. That, that calling by Jesus is to each and every one of us. But he's saying, go, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Press on. Don't give up. All affliction, long-suffering. Be teaching in season, out of season. Preach the word. Why? Because we have a sense. We have a desire. I want to say a desire. We can be inclined to wonder. I love the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And one of the reasons I love that hymn is there is a line in that hymn that says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, or take and seal it, seal it for thy throne above. Such a vital, those are true words. And in our own walk, right, with the Lord, there are times of doubt. They come in different packages, right? It's the same lie. What is the new thing? What can we do that's different? Let's get that some excitement, right? Not that church service should be boring, but sometimes we, we misplace that. And the focus should be, Paul once again, he collects Timothy and says, it's right here. Preach the word. Don't waver here. Because this is what God will honor. 
right? If our motivation, our desire is to glorify God, to be true to his word, he will honor that. So I believe that's a pastor's calling. I'm going to keep going quickly. <laughs> the second thing, I just want to talk briefly about the pastor's motivation. If you turn over to 1 Peter 5. And really, this is verses 1 through 4, but I just want to quickly look at verses 2 and 3 where Peter talks about being shepherds, about being elders, about being pastors, and he lays out your motivation succinctly and clearly. I talked on this passage a few months, I mean, a month ago or so, when the last time I was here and I preached. This is one of the passages I, I spoke from, but I just want to bring back to your memory these comparisons where he says, beginning in verse 2, right, about wise authority, he says, not by compulsion, but willingly, right? Not something I have to do out of obligation, but the contrast is willing. They understand the calling, the desire. I get to serve the Lord in this capacity. It talks about a pure motive, right? Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, right? Not for something, there's a hidden motive of, of finance or prestige or some type, anything like we might attach to it. This is a false motive. He contrasts that and he says, you should do it eagerly, right? Not for pay, although you should take care of your pastors. It's hard for me to make that statement, but that's true to the word, Right? but from a real eagerness, eagerness to serve. And then he goes into an attractive example, right, where he says in verse 3, nor uh, as being lords over those entrusted to you. Such an important word. God has entrusted these people to you, pastor. Fulfill your calling. But being examples to the flock, right? Not as lords, but he has this contrast, examples. And Jesus, you know, knowing Peter here, Walking with Jesus, right? And when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, I love this illustration because this has to be going through Peter's mind. Speaking to motivation, when Jesus washed their feet and Peter was the one who said, no, uh-uh, not the Savior of the world. He's not getting down on his knees. He's not washing my feet. And Jesus' response is in John chapter 13. Jesus' response is what? If I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Immediately, Peter says, and wash all of me. And Jesus goes on to say, here's an example I've given to you, right? Go and do likewise. So I can only think that as Peter is, is recording these words and he's talking about your motive as a shepherd, as a pastor, he must have this running through his mind, yield. Because this is what God honors. Because it's about him. It's about legacy. It's about moving forward. You know, this morning as, as we think of the, the history, and as I know Pastor Dwight's been a pastor for 31 years here, which is amazing. I don't, think, I don't know if you realize this or not, but they say only 10%, 10% of pastors who enter the ministry retire from the ministry. 10. The other 90% get burned out, give up, done dealing with it. They want to check out, do other things. 10%. What does God honor? God honors his word. Our motivation is to bring glory to him. He will bring us forward. He will move us forward. My prayer for us is that you, one, you would pray for me as your pastor, that we take this seriously. We realize that each and every one of us is prone to wonder. Let us always come back to the scriptures, submit to the truth of scriptures, and desire that God would be glorified in us. That's how we move forward. To that end, let me pray for us this morning. Lord, I am grateful for your truth, the truth of your word, that you change not, you are constant, you are the same. 
And Lord, it is a wonderful thing that you are doing in our midst. It's easy to, 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 to have these moments and think, who are we? What is it that, that, that is so special about us that you would do this? But yet you are good. You are truly good. And we are grateful for the work you've done in both these congregations, in their heritage, in their history, of men who have preached the word, who have stayed the course. I am grateful for that, and I pray, Lord, first and foremost, that this would always be my passion. To put you first, to yield to the truth of your word, to be ready in season and out, because I realize, Lord, that each and every one of us, including myself, is prone to wonder. So let our, our desire and motivation be true to you, that in us, in your church, you would receive first place. It is your church. You have a right to do with it as you please. Help us as leaders, as followers, to glorify you in everything. Give you the praise. We give you the glory. We pray this in the awesome and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The back of your bulletin, I'd like you to look at that. Um, and... Uh, Pastor Tyson and I didn't put anything on the board behind us, um, and, and that's fine um, um, because there are times when I think it's important that uh, you know in your Bible that sits in your lap where it's located. And it dawns on me that sometimes we put everything electronically up behind us, and then you go home and say, where was that at? And unless you tear the wall off and take it home with you, you have no clue of where it is in your Bible. And we, so I want you to turn to Matthew 1. I asked you as we started the service, what was it about Joseph? When God looked down from his heavens, said, it's time for my son to come, he saw a young lady, Mary, and he also saw a young man. What was it in Joseph that he would entrust his son, to do all of the daddy stuff. Actually, teach him how to be a carpenter. So I'm going to start reading um, where the angel came to Joseph when he was a moment of decision. And Pastor Tyson talked about this whole thing whole blessing of God, what he's doing from the perspective of being pastor, okay? And um, this is not like the father-daughter dance at a wedding, because if you've ever given away your daughter at a wedding, the father-daughter dance is one of the hardest things on the face of the earth to ever do, especially when that young upstart of a young man cuts in and says, you know, can I finish the dance? And you're not sure in your heart what that's going to be like. That's not what this is like at all. I want to be clear on that. This is an answer of prayer from my heart. This is the work of God. It is so profoundly the work of God that is way over the top, way, way beyond my ability to have even envisioned it. And I rejoice in this. It is a blessing to me. And it has given me the opportunity to um, 
if you want to use the word retire, you know, um, to retire with blessing. Okay. So I'm going to talk to you though about the challenges that all of us, just people, will face. Okay. Um, and we're going to we're going to name some pretty famous names from scripture. I, so I, I, I'm doing that because I want you to know that we all face them. And uh, I want us to recognize them. And I want us to be able to meet them. Okay? But Joseph, he finds out that Mary's expecting. And by Jewish law and his culture, uh, he could expose her. And by doing that, expose her whole family. By doing that, it would remove from her the privilege of ever marrying. If it was in the old days, he could have her stoned. So what makes Joseph the man that God would choose? Verse 20 of Matthew 1, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So as you read through that, did you pick out why do you think God would choose Joseph? Well, if, if you didn't pick out anything else, there's enough obedience in his heart to be sensitive enough that he would never expose Mary to ridicule. And I can't think of anything that is more significant in relationships and a greater indicator of relationship that is going right than thinking of the other one's feelings. Our first parents weren't very good at this. Adam, did you eat the fruit? What's the first thing out of his mouth? The woman you gave. Let's just offend everybody all at once, right? <laughs> he blamed her and God. And, and I want to say this. That is the human challenge in the work of God. That is the human challenge. Getting a hold of ourselves and recognize the greatest miracle of Christmas. And it's not the virgin birth. The virgin birth is a miracle. The miracle is only what God can do and his power can do. That was the vehicle. The greatest miracle is that God became flesh. How is that even possible? Why would God Almighty even think of doing that? 
But in John 1.14, it says, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. That's the great miracle of Christmas. That God clothed himself with flesh and he walked amongst the very people he created. That's the great miracle. And you think everything would be simple after that. Instead, it creates a challenge. It says in John 1 that he came to his own creation and his own creation didn't recognize him. Now we're here this morning because we recognize what God is doing. Not what humans have done and not what humans have drawn up in paper and things like that. We're recognizing the hand of God. And then it says he came to his own, his, the Jewish folks, his own people. And they refused to embrace him. And so it's not a matter of just being able to, to grasp it, but now it's decision point and they wouldn't. And it's just part of the human dilemma that we face. Can we recognize the work of God? And then secondly, can we embrace the work of God? And that's a choice that we all have to make every day, including pastors, by the way. Okay, we do. So, the great miracle is Emmanuel. We sing it, right? We know what it means. God with us. And, and you as the people of God who know your scripture, know the great promise in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you or forsake you. That should solve all the problems, right? Ah, we still have the human element. Because you know in Hebrews 13, that was said in the context of supplying all of our needs. And I'll tell you, it's still crazy truth. When people are asked when their relationships and marriage break up, over 50% of them say, it's about money. No, it's not about money. It's just that money pushes us in a relationship, right? It's really about God. Because God says that he will do what? Supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. The real issue for all of us throughout life is Emmanuel, God with us. But it's not a theological issue. The truth is, he's promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you, right? The issue is, can we live like that? that I mean, do, we, do we embrace it enough with our heart and our heads that we really live that God is with us? He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Is it personal? Well, God knows the number of hairs on our head. And that's the daily thing because it changes with us with age. It does. A lot, right, a lot, right? I asked the lady that cuts my hair if she could just take care of some of the gray ones and she just said, do you want to be bald? <laughs> okay. But it's corporate. In Matthew 18, it says, where two or three are gathered in my name, what? 
I am there in your midst. So, so the challenge is, the challenge for us again is, can we recognize the hand of God and then do we embrace that? Do we make that decision to embrace it? You say, piece of cake, right? No, it's not. Because there are people in scripture that I know I'm at the bottom looking up at their lives and just wonder how in the world, how in the world did they ever live through all they'd lived through and follow God? And yet they still struggled with this. So let's do it real quick. Look down at your bulletin. Abraham, remember the Ishmael-Isaac thing? See, the culture back in Abraham's day was if you didn't have a male heir, all of your belongings went to your head servant. There was another culture of things that said your wife's handmaid, chief handmaid, could become your wife. Her child would become the wife's child and legally be the heir. That was culturally accepted. Abraham had been given a promise. The promise was out of his seed there would be Stars, right? Sand on the seashore. Abraham is reaching the age in which he's looking at himself, and Sarah's saying, uh, we wait much longer, this isn't going to happen. And so his wife advised him, we better just follow the culture and make God's promise happen. Result? Ishmael. And then God later steps in and Isaac. But you see, when we lose hope that God is there, that's the kind of stuff we do. When we, when we just give up on what God says, we try to make it work ourselves. How about Jacob? This is the funniest story. Jacob makes a deal with his father-in-law, and he's going to leave, and, and he wants most sheep. And so when it comes to breeding time, he takes the sticks and he peels stripes in them because the, the deal was he gets all the spotted and striped ones. So he thinks if he lays the, the, the sticks with all the different colors and stripes on all this, in front of the ewes when they're being bred, that their young are going to come out spotted and not very scientific, huh? God later shows him that it was the color of the rams. But you see, once again, here we have a human being with a real God, with a real promise, with an intention to go back to his, the promised land, trying to make the blessings of God happen. And as a pastor, I can tell you, more than once, I will plead guilty on trying to make the blessings of God happen. God makes the blessing of God happen in his way and his time for his pleasure and glory, right? How about Saul? Samuel says, Saul, I'm going to be there at 1037 sharp. At 1037 sharp, Samuel's not there. 
People are starting to leave him. His soldiers are leaving him. He realizes he's at high risk. He, he realizes he's losing the edge. He realizes he's losing control. He realizes he's losing power. He realizes he's losing all the stuff that he needs to be the king and the soldier. And so what's he do? He just disobeys everything God says about priests and he sacrifices. Yeah. See, the human factor is when we think we're losing control. When we think that we, we can no longer make it work, we can't, we can't, can't keep all of the strings going, we can't keep the plates you know, spinning, we can't keep all of the, the balls in the air at the same time. When we do that, we start making those decisions which are without God. That's the human factor. How about Elijah? How would you like to end life and ministry like this? He looks at God and he says, my life didn't count. Wouldn't that be absolutely horrid? But that's exactly what he said to God. It doesn't count, so take me home. That's the human factor. He says, I'm the only guy left. And God says, uh, no, there's 5,000 up in the cave. Now, why God didn't reveal that to him ahead of time, I don't know. But when you feel like you're the Lone Ranger, okay, and that nothing has mattered that you've ever done, and that it, it didn't make the headlines, it seems like it maybe has all gone south on you, the human factor says it wasn't worthwhile. How about Peter? Now, Peter's a good guy. You know how you know he's a good guy? By the number of times God showed the mistakes he made. Really? That's how you know a good guy in Scripture. Peter grabbed Jesus by the arm and took him aside and rebuked him. Because Jesus said, I'm going to the cross. And Jesus grabbed him by the arm and said, took him. he said, Jesus, you can't do that. Now, none of us, none of us have ever prayed the prayer. Uh, are you paying attention, God? You can't do this. It doesn't work this way. None of us have tried to redirect God, right? None of us have ever tried to tell God, now look, you're not in control here. You need to do something. None of us have ever done that, right? See, it's a human factor. It was so strong that Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. By the way, that wasn't as much a rebuke to Peter as a way to bringing Peter back into the line to following him. James and John, sons of thunder. Anybody here want to claim that name? You got, a, you got a temper like that and a, a personality like that? Sons of Thunder. That was one of my great, great challenges of life. Horrible temper. They wanted to call down fire from heaven because someone didn't go along with what they were doing. Jesus said, you don't understand the spirit you're from. Martha. 
Martha's fixing food for Jesus and the group, right? She's doing good. She wants to do good. She wants to do the right thing. And she runs over to Jesus and says, this woman, my sister, is sitting here on her duff listening to you talk. By assumption, it's not important for a woman to hear. When she really needs to come and serve with me because I fixed this food, I've got it all planned out in my head, and because I've got it all planned out in my head for you, then everybody has to fall in line with me. I'm glad I wasn't Jesus having to respond to that at that moment. I mean, what do you say to that? He actually said the kindest, most loving thing she, he could say. He said, you're worried about so many things, but only one thing is needful. See, the human factor is that when we step in and presume to know exactly how God wants it, when he wants it, the way he wants it, then we expect everybody else to fall in line with it, and then we have the right to insult them. Now, I know this doesn't sound very positive. I, 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 know, I know that. But what I want you to realize is that we all go through these moments. And we all need to be aware of them, and we all need to catch ourselves with them and realize that what the issue is, is Emmanuel. Is God going to take care of it? Is God first in it? Is God directing it? It's all about Emmanuel. Disciples in the boat. How many of you like to be in boats when the sea is rough? Last time I was, we were canoeing, and the waves were coming over the front of the canoe, landing in my lap. That's okay, except my son, who was about seven years old, was between us on the floor, and I gave him a coffee can, and I said, as fast as you can. I did not feel very good at that moment. And I was praying a lot. But to tell you the truth, my prayers were very much like the disciples. A lot about God not knowing what's going on in our life, God not caring about what's going on in our life. So the disciples go back to Jesus who's sleeping in the boat, and they said, don't you care? And you see, when life becomes without God, then we say things like that. Aren't you aware? You're sleeping. Don't you care? So Jesus just got up, wiped the sleep from his eyes, rebuked the waves, everything was calm, and he just turned to them and in love says, where's your faith? Emmanuel, is God really with you? Is he really? Is he really with us this morning? Is he? That's what makes the difference. And that is the challenge to us as humans to capture that. So we all know about Thomas, right? Thomas just simply says, I need physical evidence. 
I got to see it right here. Right? So let me ask you again. Emmanuel, is God with us? Personally, corporately, is he with us? So turn to the quotation, Deuteronomy 31. That's where this quotation comes from in Hebrews, that God is with us. And I want you to note the context of it just as we finish. Because it's important for us to embrace him and then in practice embrace what it means that he is with us. Deuteronomy 31.6, an instruction. Be strong. Be strong. And of a good courage. Nothing says that there is Nothing says more that there is hope for a world than Christmas. Be strong and of a good courage. And if that's not quite enough, there's going to be this, this thing that really unplugs it all if we're not careful, and that's fear. He says, do not fear nor be afraid of them. They were confronted by an army. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. Is that really true? If God, if God is with us, does he really go with us? Now, your parents are saying, yeah, mm-hmm, because that's the right thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. But how about when your children walk out the door? Does God go with your children? This next week, we're going to go down and watch my grandson go through his graduation from Marine Boot Camp. And then he's going to go through training and then he's going to be sent somewhere. And you know what his job is? Administration of foot soldiers. That's $50 words for saying he's a grunt. It means that he's going to carry a gun and he's going to shoot. Does God go with him? Or is this all really just the plans of man and, and Satan and everything else, and it's all gone crazy? So he says, he says this, he is the one, this God, who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Emmanuel, God with us, God with us, individually and corporately.
What we are watching is the hand of God and the work of God. And what God wants of us is to see it as his work. And then secondly, to embrace it. And to recognize that we're all human and we have the human factor to always deal with. But above all, to come back over and over again to Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us. And that's all that matters. God is with us.